and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.Consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. I'm your host, Greg Ballard, and I have a special guest with me here, uh, Raleigh Keenan. Raleigh is the, uh, chief, the Chief Revenue Officer with Tegretta. Welcome, Raleigh. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you on the show today. So, Raleigh, tell us a little bit about how you uh, became a Chief Revenue Officer and your, your the work you're doing with Tegretta. Sure. Um, I got... Uh... I guess came out of uh, college wanting to be a pro athlete um, ended up being a coach and working for the Olympic volleyball teams and um, realized I'd be broke forever if I did that um, and was not interested Uh, real quickly changed my mind and was literally going to do anything. I got a job in sales, which I honestly didn't know anything about. Um, I just wanted to work for that company and the friend I had said, how about sales? And I said, I don't care, whatever that is. Um, I ended up, it ended up being cold calling um, tech sales and for data center stuff. And I ended up being really good at it. And I've had a revenue responsible role ever since then. Um, Mm. And I kind of went from that being super bored at it and getting my MBA at Northwestern. I uh, was in Chicago at the time and took did what everyone does after that and took a job in management consulting, but it was a revenue responsible role in management consulting, which was a little unique. So I couldn't work for all the folks that go to hang out at Northwestern. So Bain, Booze, McKinsey, they all talked to me about jobs and I thought they sounded horrible because um, there was very little client contact that was only for the partners and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So I took a role with someone to let me be that role out of the gates um, and learned a lot about revenue and a lot about consulting and how they go together and how to architect that work and and build it. Um, Once I screwed that up and also succeeded at it all together, so I made a bunch of mistakes and learned some things um, I kind of just became obsessed with revenue and I've been a fractional, uh, chief revenue officer now for about five years, um, and focused on, on, uh, being responsible for revenue, but also angled heavily into consulting and how that motion yeah. is very different than SAS, uh, which dominates the conversation <laughs> these days, but it's very different. And so I'm more interested in the consulting side. Yeah. So the chief revenue officer role, I mean, it's, it's out there. There's lots of organizations that have that role, but um, it's pretty new. I mean, probably the last what five to seven years, the CRO has come into the Mm C-suite. And as I talk to different people in that space, I think they frame that role a little differently. Um, You, you had a book on this as a CMO, I think it was CMO to CRO. Tell us what, from your perspective, what, what does a CRO do? What are their primary responsibilities? The CRO 
their goal is growth, revenue growth, and their responsibilities include anything and everything that presents an opportunity for that growth or an obstacle. Um, uh, as an example of what I mean by that incredibly vague definition is uh, just by story example of over the past five years that I've been a CRO uh, for Tegrita, um, there's been things that have come up around technology that I felt was a revenue barrier. And I didn't like how we had, you know, seven different technologies kind of duct taped, although duct taped very well, uh, duct taped together to get what we needed in terms of day-to-day -day operations. Um, so I tackled that project and st stuck on it for a quarter. Um, we had a talent issue, the way we uh, sourced, hired, onboarded talent, I thought was a, re a revenue risk. And so I focused on that for a quarter. Um, in general, it, it plays a lot like head of marketing, head of sales. But when you're a CRO, like you're the head of the front office, if you can picture kind of like in the book, we talk about a modern front office, which is everything that's outward. And in mm -hmm. consulting, that's like most everything. Um, and the back office, which is all the things that require to run accounting, finance, IT. But they're very separate. And, and so you consider the CRO kind of head of front office. And that's just a lot of stuff uh, that so can so affect um, revenue. And in many organizations, there is no CRO. And so when there's an issue like I'm talking about technology or hiring, talent, whatever, the CRO is kind of like, hey, that's not part of my bonus plan. That's their problem. I know I just got to kind of tell them I need some more salespeople or I need some marketing people. They'll hire them. And if they're bad, that's really not my problem. I just have to kind of hit my goals. So in a CRO, this um, definition that I have, it's you go down that line as far as you need to when it when you need to and uh, fix anything that's in the way of revenue growth. So I would say that 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 used to be the CEO then, or in many cases is the CEO. Yeah. And I think, I think if you, that's a really good point. And I've, I actually haven't heard anyone else bring that up uh, until this conversation, but I've thought about that a lot. And what has really happened in a CEO role is that role has really become a board facing role, uh, outward facing role and very little inward facing good or bad. Um, that person's stakeholders mostly are outside the company. Um, and so they very, you know, they may have some, their direct reports, um, getting stuff done for them, but often in my experience, you're getting stuff done. So they have something to say to the board. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would say, uh, CEOs, this great figurehead brand leader face of the business. I wish it was like heavy operator thing. Like I sort of envisioned it when I was younger, but. It's mostly outward facing. So one more question on this role from your perspective. What is the relationship between the CRO, the CMO, and the COO? Like revenue, marketing, ops. Well, there, there really doesn't need to be a CMO, um, which is kind of the point of the, of the book um, that you, you mentioned that we published uh, a couple of years ago. 
head of marketing makes sense. Um, but that but, role would report to the revenue officer then. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, head of marketing, head of sales, head of support, um, head of customer success, you know, those are typical uh, roles. I don't have much of a, of a opinion still on head of product, which people ask me about sometimes in the SaaS world, uh, I guess, because I don't hang out there much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they report up to the CRO. And so that if you picture, you know, your CRO, COO and CFO, those are, you know, back office operations, back office, you know, accounting and finance. Um, fine. But in terms of the motion of customers and all that, this is very uh, CRO world. Yeah. And so this is where it gets a little um, dicey, maybe, because I've talked to some, you know, revenue officers and they will play in the ops to reduce cost, improve productivity and count that on the revenue to improve productivity side, essentially. Have you come across anyone doing that? No, um, I mean, you know what I've really, <laughs> what's really come across to me that I guess it shouldn't be surprising is the CRO who's just ahead of sales. That's what I come across mostly. I mean, even in the past month where I start talking to somebody who's a CRO and within 60 seconds, I'm like, oh, they're just ahead of sales. So that's what I come across mostly. And then they're not doing anything <laughs> like what you're talking about. They are literally just trying to find deals and managing quotas. And they're, they're on the message boards asking questions like, Hey, should, should I show the math I, I use to come up with this guy's quota? Like that's their, their world is like managing sales. That's it. So that's mostly what I see, which I think is a big mistake and a, you know, might as well just not change them, their name to CRO. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but that's mostly what I see. Gotcha. So tell us a little bit about Tegretta and, um, you know, give us a little shape of the business, the market you're serving and some, any of the exciting things you guys got going on right now. Yeah. So the Tegretta is a um, consultancy. Uh, we were founded in 2009, focused on a technology called Eloqua which is a marketing automation platform that Oracle bought. Um, and our founder came from that business. Uh, and, you know, so the focus was really on that platform. I came into the business um, at, at present, you know, we're about a 5 million ARR um, business. And um, when I came in, my goal was to kind of diversify what we were doing not for the sake of diversification, but for this, for just the goal of growth, you know, what are, what are other things we could do? We're not doing. Um, and it also became um, part of the, part of the, the fabric of that became how risky it was to only focus on one marketing automation platform and that's it. So uh, that's the kind of work where we started. We're doing more and more advanced, uh, what I would call email work, um, which sounds incredibly not complex, but email is actually really tough to do. We've been doing a lot of work there. Um, and we, our typical client um, 
is either a big multinational, multi-billion dollar firm, or there's an issue across like all these business units and all the marketing and digital work that they do and us being kind of that one source of truth across business units and being able to kind of foster that or just a really fast growing business, which, you know, those typically are SaaS or health healthcare or health tech uh, businesses. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we've covered a couple of things, you know, how you got to where you are, um, the role you're in and a little bit about the, you know, Tigretta and the business you're, you're serving. I want to talk a little bit about adaptability. So, pre, you know, before we jumped on the, on the call here today, um, we had a little chat and you didn't tell me what it was, but I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you do to stay on the bleeding edge of your role? Like, how do you stay adaptive? Do you have any particular rhythms or routines or practices that keep you on the edge so that you're performing? Yeah, I actually, um, not, not for this podcast, it's purely coincidental, but I, I, uh, I did write an article and put it up on LinkedIn over the break um, in between Christmas and having the stomach flu, which was great part of my break. Um, but uh, And it was me taking advantage of something about myself in order to be more effective. Um, and I think you could say adaptive. Um, which is the fact that I look back, I, I did this look back of my history all the way back to being five years old and things I've been doing pretty mm. consistently. And I see a pattern all the way through my adult life. And, and basically I'm, uh, what I'm saying is I was, I was, uh, a very fast runner in soccer, um, and a f- big jumper in volleyball. And, uh, I just was fast and, I've learned that I kind of handle business that way too, where I'm not, I don't look frantic. I'm not like Mr. Busy. I'm not putting in a ton of hours, but I've, I've learned to take advantage of the fact that I, um, in my analogy in the article, I wrote that I like to go after 50, 50 balls in soccer. So I love it when me and another guy have just as equal chance of getting a loose ball because I tend to win them. Um, and I just, and I just love the feeling of, of that. And I do that all day long. I win 50, 50 balls all day and it helps me to kind of go where the action is and, and not spend my time doing things that I'm like, Oh, I finished it, but who cares? Uh, I tend to do things that are kind of in the spotlight in the moment. Um, hard to win. I don't like to go after things that are easy to win. So let me let me dig into this a little bit. So over the break, um, not only do we have the holidays and we talked briefly about family, right? We both have some decent sized families, a number yep. of kids under each house here. Um, but you decided to spend some time, you know, with the flu to uh, <laughs> kind of think back through your life history. Uh, I, I did something very similar to that a few years ago. I think I still have I broke it down into five year segments. So, you know not birth to five, but five to 10, 10 to 15. How did you go about this? How did you break it down? And, and what was the kind of the lens you did to it? How much time did you spend on it? Uh, so when I write something like that, I like to break it into 
parts so that I can reread it and rewrite over and over. So I probably did three or four sessions of about 45 minutes each. That's about my limit before mm -hmm. I start to degrade into terrible writing. Um, so yeah, so about, about that amount of time. Um, and the way that I kind of went about it, um, I, you know, it's probably just a personal thing of how I do it, but I, I try to focus on something that's bothering me. Mm. And so I, so you kind of, my opening line is I don't, I, I have trouble with the way people describe and categorize winning and being competitive. Hmm. And so I just, so that was my starting point. I had no idea where I was going with that, but I wrote that line down and then sat there and thought, so, about hold it. on. What do, you, what do you mean by the winning and being competitive and how that doesn't necessarily, I, I forgot the way you, you phrased it, but there was a, sure. a conflict there, right? Yeah. What do yeah, you mean so, by those two terms? So I've always had like kind of an issue with like, Hey, let's win more in 2023 kind of thinking yeah. like, come on, let's get after it. Like, here's what I'm going to do to win in 2023. I'm going to do this. I'm just like laundry list, right? Here's my 10 things. Um, and, and, and then, and then there's some things that go along with winning of like, never give up and, you know, go get right back at it. You get knocked down, get back up. And, and this kind of like, tireless butting your head against the wall mentality and i i'm i've you know and then let's be real specific let me dive down into one example i've always hated in sales of like hey it's last week of the month or last week of the quarter let's go hard and you know that's always just never resonated with me in any way i've never i've always been like no i'm not going hard the last week i go hard every morning I wake up, I go hard, like, and this is it. Like you guys don't get any, <laughs> there's no more there's, I can't ramp it up. And, uh, and so I've always struggled with this kind of transactional bit. And so the way that I kind of went through the article was how long have I been against that? And then I'm like, yeah, since I was five, like, <laughs> so like part of what I wrote was, and luckily I had, cause I had over, over the years of found pictures of myself. So there's a picture of me playing, you know, in a picture in an old newspaper article when I was like five or six years old. And, you know, I don't remember we, I think we lost two games in five years. Like we were the best team by a long shot in that area down in South Texas. And mm -hmm. Um, I'm like, I don't remember a single win, none of them, but I remember running. I remember 50, 50 balls. I actually remember some of like photographically winning a ball, hmm. you know, like I remember all those things because those to me were winning, um, I never found any, and I, and I, and, you know, I make a point in this article, I'm not saying my way of thinking about it's right. I'm just saying, this is the way I think about it. Maybe yeah. someone can get something out of it because I, I'm sure there's people who, when they focus on the end goal of winning then they're all good. And I also point out that I don't think I would have thought I was winning if we lost every game either. So the scoreboard mattered to me, 
but my sort of focus, I couldn't focus on that. I this seemed ridiculous, sort of like, why am I, why am I trying to work harder the last week of the court? It doesn't make any sense to me, but every moment that I could see a 50, 50 ball, every little thing I could turn the dial on, that was, that was my sort of mindset. So I could not get into this. How you going to win? How you going to win? So you could imagine I was a nightmare in like sales meetings and I was a nightmare. Like just, yeah, that's you not, you better not ask me a question in that meeting. And I think people learned when I was younger, they learned over time. Don't just let Raleigh sit there. Don't ask him a question. He's going to say something that's going to totally upend the meeting. <laughs> um, what, what I, and I, I resonate with you maybe from a slightly different angle. Um, for me, the idea of like, you know, in, in the sense of sales, in the sense of building business development, revenue, right? If you're framing your team's efforts around, hey, how are we going to win this client? Like, and, I, and that's, that's very normal parlance in business development. How are you going to win the client? We don't use that language in our team. You know, uh, our frame is how do we earn the privilege to serve? That's, that's how we approach it. Um, because if there's a winner, there's a loser. And we don't like to create win-lose situations. It's just, that's not energy. That's not the, 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 the come from place that we want to be involved in. And so I, I would say in agreement with you, we don't use the winning language. Um, we use language of service. Yeah. So I think it's fascinating insight. And the, the fact that you're sharing that you, you did this exercise, I think, you know, right now we're at the, the beginning of the new year. This is time where people are being reflective. They're, they're, they're thinking about what's ahead. Uh, I think this is a fantastic opportunity uh, for folks that have, have the inclination to spend a couple of um, blocks of time to reflect on what they did as they grew up and how their life has evolved and where. Uh, and I think what you said, what do you remember? You remembered the 50-50s, the jump balls, the things that you could go after. That's what you remember. And, and you can tie that through the whole thread of your life. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think I, I, I was thinking about it at kind of after I wrote it and then I'm starting to get feedback, you know, people making comments or I've been getting a lot of private messages, people that aren't really commenting on it publicly, but they're asking me questions or, or people who've been in my life at different parts that I wrote about. So they're like commenting on, Oh, I remember this. or that. If you, if you'll, if you um, or someone from your team will give us the link, I'll add that article into our show notes. So anybody on this podcast can go and check out that article. Sure. Sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I, what I reflected on after getting feedback also was this like, well, I, I actually know for certain that I do remember wins for a short period of time. So there is something there where I enjoy it. I enjoy winning games, but those fall off pretty quick. And then our, our, what sticks with me are all the little little parts. Got it. Hey, so on uh, on the theme of adaptivity, so we talked about yourself um, as an individual and that reflection and how now that you have, you know, and we'll see where this goes because you just wrote this, but I, I imagine that's going to give you a little more congruence in how you behave day to day, right? Um, but I'm curious, you know, what are some of the things that you're doing with uh, Tegrita? to create an adaptive organization 
an organization that can stay on trend with the market, that can stay on um, pace with the with everything that's going on, right? We have a lot of stuff that's been going on. We've come through COVID. We have, you know, the economy, what's going on. We have shifts in the tech space. And so the market is constantly moving and churning. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, how are you guys at Tegretta um, helping to support an organization that can adapt to those changes? Well, we've done a lot um, since I started five years ago. Um, some basic kind of operational things that we did to be adaptive is is put in a better uh, foundation, operational foundation for the business. So, and if people that know me from, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, probably be like, Raleigh cares about that level of detail because that, that's surprising me because, you know, they knew me as revenue guy. But over time, I've recognized how how hard it is to maintain and, and grow revenue when your fun operational foundation is shaky. And so, you know, when I became CRO at Tegra, it's one of the first things that we did was how do we contract? How do we do work every day? How do we know what we did? How do you know all those things? And so we laid that foundation of technology and process. And in fact, even this year, we're even rolling out another iteration of this amazing process map of how exactly does everyone do stuff so that when they come in, they're onboarded, they know exactly what their job is. They know exactly how things work. They know all the off ramps to consulting. You know, if I'm working on this for a client and this one thing doesn't make sense, what do I do? And in most organizations, it's, I don't know, like do your best and then move on with your life or, or, flag it or stop working or whatever. So we've done a bunch of stuff like that. Um, and then from a, client, a market facing perspective, um, I'm a, I'm a former research consultant. So um, what that means is that I generally don't make up things and try them. So if anyone doesn't know that, that's what most executives do. Uh, and I, I, I have to know, something and then build on that. And so over the past five years, you know, I've been really for the last three following work that we do for a couple of clients, particularly uh, that we do particularly well. Um, And it's really niche email work. Email is really tough to do. And so now we're going to basically focus on that uh, niche and kind of make that, you know, what we talk about. We can do a bunch of, we can do a hundred things, but this one thing we clearly do so well, um, but some of our efficiency and effectiveness is amazing there. So it's the digital technical world of email, which is really tough. So we're pivoting and adapting to what our clients are clearly telling us by giving us another big, you know, bag of money to do it. That's how I kind (laughs) of, kind of laughably determine what's going to work and what's not. What are people already paying me for? Um, Versus, I don't know if anyone will ever pay me for this, but let's put a bunch of time and energy into it. I'm not like generally going to do that. It's more uh, research-based. So that's how we've pivoted in a market-facing way. Got it. Good. Hey, so uh, Raleigh, before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners about um, yourself, Tegretta, or you know, being adaptive in the marketplace in 2023? 
Um, you know, I think if it wasn't super obvious from the the first part of that, where we uh, I talked about the fact that I kind of wrote an article about how I'm figuring out how to be more effective and adaptive uh, is, is the centerpiece of, you know, know yourself and how that is not as easy as it sounds. Um, it's kind of like when people say, do what you love or, you know, some crazy simple thing like that. Uh, good luck. Like, because how do you know? It's not that e it's really not that easy. And I think people see it as a personal failure. Like, oh, I can't believe I'm an accountant. I don't really love that. I should love something else. I actually love, you know, cooking or I don't know, something. But you really have to zero in on what are the things. Of, I mean, there's a bunch of things I'm good at and effective at that would never make me any money. So I cannot focus on those. Volleyball is a good example. I was really good at it and I would have been broke if I had kept focusing on it. So um, like, what is it about you that you can, that is unique to you? Like the things I talk about in that article, put me up against a million people and I'll beat all of them. Like, what is that? And it, it might be very hard to, to figure out, um, but that's how you can literally be the most adaptive that you can be because you're just not the same as me or anyone else excellent all right Raleigh. thank you for coming on the show and uh we're going to take a look at your article awesome. and uh keep an eye on each other all right Raleigh. thank you thank you for having me thank you for joining us on the adaptive executive podcast we hope you enjoyed the show you can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard, and thank you for listening.